Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there. I'm Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 25 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces, from the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. It has become my life's mission to destigmatize divorce and create a community around what is already a difficult time. We call it the evolution of dissolution. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks Podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Good morning. Good morning. We've talked the whole night through. Good morning. Good morning Welcome to the Sunny Side Up Report. I'm Laura Wasser, and I'm going it alone today as Johnny is on vacation. If it's okay with you listeners, I would like to dedicate this episode of the Sunny Side Up Report to my mother, Bunny Marcy Wasser. She passed away this past Saturday, July 27th, and um, my mom was somebody that always reminded me of that saying we say so often on the Divorce Sucks podcast, This Too Shall Pass. She had an even better way of talking about it when she got cancer. And it was, life is not about figuring out how to weather the storm. It's about learning how to dance in the rain. Keep that in mind, listeners, as you're going through your painful times. I know that I've kept it in my mind over the past few weeks and days and hours, certainly. And for those of you who still have a mama around, give her a hug for me. All right. On today's Sunny Side Up report, uh, we're starting out with a Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach. It's a movie that will be coming out in the fall. And Noah, who I know personally and who I loved since Squid and the Whale, which was his first uh, trauma of divorce nearly 15 years ago uh, when Squid and the Whale came out, drew on his adolescent memories of watching his parents split with Marriage Story, Baumbach's 2010 divorce from Jennifer Jason Lee after the birth of their own child, invites an unavoidable biographical reading. Uh, It's got Adam Driver playing playwright Charlie and Scarlett Johansson playing Nicole. It's got Laura Dern playing an amazing family law attorney, as well as the defense attorney, Frumpy Alan Alda, imitating Ray Liotta, is what this article says. The review is on IndieWire by Eric Kahn, and he says that we could probably catch a screening at the TIFF Gala Selection and other fall festivals. So um, check that out. We are definitely going to try to see if we can get Noah to come and speak about his experience on our show. Next up, Russian beauty queen demands Malaysian king take a paternity test and ask for an apology days after he disowned their son and divorced her. This is by Annabelle Murphy. It is from The Sun. Um, after giving up his throne earlier this year to marry Rihanna Oksana Vevodina, 26, a pageant winner from Russia, the former king of Malaysia, Sultan Mohammed V, 49, disowns their son and divorces her. This included rejecting her three times in the presence of witnesses. Rihanna is now living with baby Leon in a country house near Moscow and has demanded a public apology from the former king. Oh, dear. What a tangled web we weave. Uh, Next up, we have This is the Brutal Reality of How Divorce Changes Friendships. Written by Shannon Lell, Scary Mommy, 72419. I thought this was an interesting article. One woman shares her devastating reality of divorce, which is the loss of so many of her significant relationships from the obvious one, her spouse, to her former in-laws, to her closest still-married girlfriends, who shame her for having an active dating and sex life. I have not heard this problem very often, but I certainly can imagine being able to relate to it. Again, a lot of her friends who are still married don't have time to spend with her chatting about the dating and and sex world. She says, my friends are busy with husbands and children and lives, and I get that. I've been there, and I don't blame them. But this is the sad reality of being a single older woman on the dating circuit. Either you find a whole new set of friends who understand the new terrain of your life, or you trudge through it alone. Um, so I, I, I think that's something to talk about, something that's very interesting. We'll probably talk about it at some point on the Divorce Sucks podcast. Interesting article, though. 
Uh, Next, what men should know before getting divorced. And this is from menstylefashion.com. It's got some interesting statistics about men and how they suffer when they go through divorce. Uh, Three of the things that the author says are reasons why women initiate divorces that he wants men to know are addiction, abusive relationships, and infidelity without any guilt. And those are three things generally that when we speak with users on It's Over Easy or when I talk to clients in my office, those are usually things that women and men, but particularly women who are initiating divorces, they can't get past those. So guys, um, try not to be abusive, addictive, or have infidelity without any guilt. The other thing that the author tells us is that there are certain things that will prevent divorce if you are able to treat your women in a certain way. And those are, and again, I always kind of feel like these could go for men or women. Don't take her, and then my input or him, for granted. Continue with the little gestures. Try to bring back the little things you did for her slash him long before you tied the knot. Ignite your love for her slash him. Never let her, him, say that you changed from what you once were. Show you care by doing all those little things that you were doing before marriage. Give her flowers or gifts from time to time. Pamper her and listen to her. The next is talk to her or him and remember that no one is perfect. Don't expect your spouse to be the best and perfect partner. No one is perfect. Neither are you. Um, so way to get uh, get up to speed, guys. Definitely check this one out. I didn't even know menstylefashion.com existed, but I, I like it. Next, divorce is hard. These seven apps can make coordinating and communicating with your ex easier. This comes to us from USA Today by Edward Baig, B-A-I-G. Seven apps and web services represent a good sampling of the choices out there today. And again, these have to do with co-parenting and communicating. Um, A couple of them we've featured on the It's Over Easy Index. One is our family wizard. One are our friends at Co-Parenter. And another is uh, Divorceify. All interesting, worth looking into, and have been vetted by our It's Over Easy folks. Also, because we like to talk about weddings in addition to talking about divorces, from this past week's New York Times Sunday Styles Vow section, I wanted to talk about Gigi Gorgeous and Nat Getty. They are a couple who got married on July 12, 2019 at the Rosewood Miramar Beach Hotel in Montecito, California. Uh, In attendance were Caitlyn Jenner, Terry Hatcher, makeup artist Candy Johnson, and YouTubers Hannah Hart, Grace Helbig, uh, and Trisha Paytas, who's the beauty con media founder. I want to take a quote from this because I think it is valid. I was trying to live an authentic lifestyle, said Ms. Getty, who is, yes, one of the heirs to the Getty fortune. I just didn't have it in me. I felt a lot of shame, Ms. Getty said. The moment I had Gigi in my life, I had the perfect example of what it is to be an authentic person living your true life, to love yourself and be proud of who you are no matter what. And... Gigi Gorgeous, whose real name is Gina Lazarado, 27. She's a YouTuber. She had documented her gender transition on her YouTube channel, and in the videos, which racked up millions of views, Ms. Lazarado revealed many of the details about her plastic surgery and hormone treatments with a characteristic and good-natured irreverence. Um, the pictures are fantastic. Um, mazel tov to Gigi and Nats. Uh, we love you, and we hope that with this eye to the future and your authenticity, you guys will have a long and happy marriage. Finally, from Daily Mail, Prince Andrew reveals if he would ever remarry Fergie. Um, as many of you will remember, they were married in 1986. They split after a decade of marriage. And um, they've been hanging out a lot lately. One of their daughters got married, and there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not they might get back together. Um, He did tell Daily Mail, Prince Andrew did, that they are both in a better place, he said, and it's because we are in a better place, which is probably why we're able to remain such close friends. They are one of our perfect examples of post it's over easy next chapters co-parenting and really being better family members when you are no longer married and we applaud them for it joining us next secrets from the c-suite and empowering inspiration from today's guest author executive coach and keynote speaker charmaine mcclary and i also want to remind everybody it's over easy is national now so we're in all 50 states check us out and enjoy today's episode Thank you. 
Most relationships hover on a precipice for years before one party or the other finally decides it's time to jump. Coming to that decision isn't easy. Fear of the unknown can paralyze even the strongest of us, and that is why we created It's Over Easy. This podcast and our other channels to arm you with knowledge and help you find courage. It may be the end of life as you knew it, but there is a new life after divorce. Your story continues and how you tell your story from here can strengthen your position in your personal life and in your professional sphere. Anticipating what's ahead and making plans now for how you want to represent yourself socially and in the workforce is what we're talking about today on Divorce Sucks. And that's why I've invited today's esteemed and captivating guest to join us. She's an author, C-suite advisor, keynote speaker, and executive coach who helps leaders have their best years ever. For more than two decades, 98% of her clients are promoted within 18 months. She's worked with leaders in 27 different industries across five continents to financial and professional success by coaching them to reframe and represent. And today, she's joining our conversation to share some transformational strategies that can help you represent yourself after a breakup and reframe your divorce story. Welcome to Divorce Sucks, Charmaine McClary. Thank you. Good, that was Good a to be Good here. lead-in, right? Yes, I love it. <laughs> and you guys can look on our social media when when this episode drops. Her dress is just to die. I mean, it's really. It's really good. I'm a little coveting over here. So, Charmaine, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I think our listeners want to hear your background so that we can then move forward to what it is that you do. So I've had my practice for over 20 plus years. And what I say is I help smart people get promoted and communicate the big picture. I help them reconnect with themselves and really identify very clearly who they are and how they want the world to see them. Because I'm a believer that if we do not define ourselves, others will, mm. and it will inevitably be inadequate. Yes. So who's better to say it than you? My started my practice, as I said, over 20-some-odd years ago, and I actually started in the courtroom. I would profile jury and judge and determine how my client should speak and dress, and before that it was politics. So helping politicians understand their constituency and how to craft their message to really engage them and influence them and have them support that community and whatever the initiative was. I love it. So when you, I mean, I've done this, but on a very small scale in terms of I represent a rock star. He's covered with tattoos and piercings and whatever, and he may not actually even own a suit. But he's going to go to court. Now, he still gets to be who he is and have his piercings and his tattoos, but we want the judge to see that he's taking the process seriously, so we suit him up, so to speak. So you would do that for clients to figure out what would would get the best kind of reaction from jury members, et cetera. Absolutely, because the entire objective, as you know, as an advocate, is to do just that, advocate on behalf of your client. And when you do that, you want to survey what is the audience and what do you want them to think, do, or feel about you while you're in that situation. So we want the rock star to still be the rock star, but be taken to feel that the judge is taking them seriously, um, might just elevate their look so that it's still true to who they are and not trying to go in a three-piece suit, but that it is uh, very fashion-forward but on point because the objective is they either need to win one custody and the the jury and or judge needs to see them as that kind of a parent. Question in terms of women. We've heard so much lately about the Me Too movement and so much of a shift is happening socially with how women are perceived on our appearance, what we look like. We've got great marketing and advertising campaigns with heavier women, women that don't look like all supermodels in terms of their hair, their face, their makeup, their clothing and their body and shape size. How does that translate to what you work with your clients to do? I mean, are we going to present the best us if we look like X, or do we have to stay true to ourselves? And how do you meld those two so that a woman, particularly a woman, can really feel that she's herself while at the same time getting ahead? First of all, we can only be true to ourselves. If we try and uh, become someone else, you know, I always say, I am the best freaking Charmaine that there is, and no one else can do it like me. So I need to be me when I'm there, and so does your client. So really understanding who are they at the core, and if life were just the way they wanted it to be, what would they look like, how would they show up, and how would they speak? And so it's really, I help my client identify what is the best the best of themselves and how to, rep- how to present that to the world. So for women, it's important that we get that kind of clarity and redefine how we want our future to look, particularly if you're going through a divorce. Like, example, one of my clients got a divorce but had just had a baby prior to that. Everyone in the group that she was in got promoted except for her, and mm. she was really in major pissosity. And so what I said to her is I said, you know... <laughs> is that a term of art? <laughs> major pissosity? I like it. 
And so I asked her, I said, so why haven't you been promoted? And she goes, I don't know. I said, so ask the question. And so she asked her CEO, and he said, you know, it's because you're not strategic. Now, I must say that after her having the baby, she looked really frumpy. And it was not representative of who and what she is and what she brings to the table. She had just finished her MBA and really, really sharp. But her look was not congruent with that. And as there was a study by Dr. Albert Moravian, if when we show up, if we're not congruent, then what people remember is 99%, 95% of that is based on an image, not on the reality of who you are, but on an image. And our image shouts volumes about us. Yes. And so what we did is we actually, I said, if you were to have money was not any object, how would you dress? She goes, well, I wouldn't dress like this. I said, then hell, why are you dressed like this now? And so what we did is revamped her look so that she really did was representative of a vice president. I'm happy to say now she is a general manager of U.S., Canada, and Mexico for her organization because wow. she shifted her perception and she shifted how she spoke about what she did. So, for example, she changed her language. She would always say the word passionate. I'm passionate. I'm so passionate. And I looked at her and I said, if your manager – your your SVP, do you even think his wife says passion to him? Right. I said, because he's such a cold fish. And she said, no. I said, then what language would you need to use with him? So she began to incorporate the word strategic in her language, sharing her observation, her insight based on my experience and the strategy that I want to recommend. She was able to then propel herself forward because she shifted how she looked and she shifted how she valued the information that she brought to the table. Wow. Okay, so now when clients of yours, you mentioned that this woman had just gone through a divorce, had a baby. I so often, when I have my clients, see them, there's a shift that they go through, particularly women, again, come in, and for however many years, they have been living a perception of themselves, often through their husband's eyes or their spouse's mm -hmm. eyes. And so now you're kind of on your own. And I always tell people when they start dating again, forget the other person across the table from you for a moment. This doesn't need to be your next spouse. Think about you and how you feel and who you are when you've now, you're through the lens of your own as opposed to his. What, how do you use that in what you do, Charmaine, to talk to people and, and help them find themselves again in their next chapters? So this is the time for that person to be very you-centric, very me-centric. I'm good with this already. I you like know, that. <laughs> because, because the likelihood is that they have not. They right. have been male or spouse-centric and children-centric. And really, if again, I go back to that basic question. If life could be the way you wanted it to be, what would it look like? How would you look? How would you show up? And so I asked them actually to simply get magazines and begin to pull pages of things that they like. Look at people on television, magazines that you like and that you respect. How do they look? Because they're probably, many times they're so far removed from even knowing what's below their neck and beginning to reframe that and giving themselves the time to reframe that narrative and how they dress and how they speak. And so after they put together this collage, we look at that and say, now, how is this reflective of how you want to show up? And pulling the elements of those that are true to themselves, again, not changing who they are, right. but leveling it up, elevating that so that they really are able to shine and be attractive in whatever attractive means to, to them, them. Because right. they may not have thought of themselves as attractive when you're going through divorce. Right. They typically don't. So you're like Henry Higgins. Pygmalion, Ooh, yes. and my fair lady. Yes. What happens if they bring back, you know, if it's the, the is it a dream board that people do? Or mm -hmm. what happens if they bring back the magazine pictures and the dream board and it's just so not like them? What happens if there is absolutely no correlation? They're, they're a different size. Their hair is completely different. It couldn't possibly grow that long. They're a different skin color. How do you then reconcile that? This is, do you say, this is a person who really must not like themselves because they want to be so other? Or do we, can we fix that? Um, I think that it's fixing is fixable as long as they want to be quote unquote I say fixed it's really evolved right so um, a client um, this is many years ago I when we began working together I looked at her and I said mm, did you really like Elvis Presley and she goes how did you guess I said well hell if I look at your hair it looks very much like you know Priscilla <laughs> and so that <laughs> was going to say it looked like Elvis <laughs> that was a real that was a really great time in her life right and so what we like to do is hold on and not have that change and so really pushing that envelope. And uh, I challenge them. I, I give them some really hard questions. Like, you know, why would you want to show up like that? What would, what would possess you to do that? And what are you going to achieve? 
do you want your life different or you want it the same? Because if you want it the same, hell, you can stay married. Right. But what do you want to have different? And in order for you to have different, you've got to show up different. And so then I ask them to make that challenge and make, take that step to do something that is out of the ordinary. So as an example, the Priscilla Presley hair woman, mm-hmm. what, did, what did she do? What did she want to look like? What did she want to, you know? She wanted to look hip. Mm-hmm. She wanted to look sophisticated. She just didn't think that it was possible for her. Okay. Because someone else, again, had defined her narrative. And so as she began to really be honest with herself about how she wanted to show up, she didn't think that she was allowed to do that. And so what I do is I take photographs of my clients in their new outfit or however, a new haircut, so that they can begin to see, like, this is actually what you look like when you're showing up to be the real you. Right. Because that other is somebody else's definition. And it's usually that they don't feel that they have the permission. And I say, now is the time where you can give yourself permission to do whatever you want to do. Right. Okay. And now I know that you've been the keynote speaker at Watermark. I attended this past year. What a fantastic conference. For listeners who don't know, Watermark's mission is to increase the number of women in leadership positions. Are we actually seeing that kind of a shift? Are we seeing those that, that needle move? You know, I'll say it's a push-pull and I'd say with this administration, it doesn't Scary. help us. It really doesn't. It doesn't help us at all. And we have a keen opportunity as women to come together with a very strong voice and shift the narrative for this country, for women, and for children going forward. My thing is, is that when you vote for a president, you're voting for the Supreme Court, and that is going to change everybody's life for your lifetime. And so I think that the needle – I think that people are waking up, and I think that um, – but it's now about putting it in action. Right. Because waking being awake and and, and not getting action, out of bed. <laughs> right. Really doesn't do you any good. Right. So yes, I think that things have changed in different sectors of the market and not in all. I travel a lot to the Midwest mm-hmm. and to the South. I was going to ask you. Okay. And it's a different ball game. Why different- why did women there in the Midwest and in the South vote for Donald Trump? You need to tell me cuz that's a million dollar question. I, I do women it's, hate women? Well, I think, it's a, I think it's a complicated answer, and I think it's a couple of things. I think that many women actually saw Hillary Clinton and felt that if there's a female president, I might have to show up differently. I might actually have to be accountable, and I might actually have to push through what I don't want to and be fully responsible. And there are some women that don't afraid. want that. Right. They absolutely don't. They want to remain in the traditional relationship because it's safe. They get to hide and they get to blame someone else. And I'm a believer you get out front and you be your own advocate. So I think that s- some of it is fear-based. And I think that some women actually feel that they are protecting in some perverse way, protecting their family and their husband because they may have to actually compete with a woman. Do you think that that now this wake up has changed or do you think that they're okay with it? I mean, given what we've seen over the past year in terms of abortion change in certain states, in terms of the border policies in certain states, some of the gun policies, are people or even what's happened recently with Iran. Do you think some of those women, if we're, you know, creating a profile of them, are going, now, wait a minute. I don't this. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't want her and I didn't want to have to be responsible or accountable. But this is too far on the other side. I have to say I'm cautious with saying that that shift is going to take place because, of course, the polls just said that he would likely win. I was catatonic. Uh, So I feel that there is the possibility if we actually have a very concerted effort and really get very clear about what we want as an outcome, because I have the right to decide what happens to my body. And there's so many draconian draconian legislation that's being that's shifting in this country that I'm hoping that many women feel like their back is against the wall. Yes. And that this is a now or never move. So in the corporate world, if we are going to, I mean, again, we've kind of, it seems like we've come at this from different angles. We tried to get a female president in. We, we, in, in the corporate world, if we're going to do a grassroots kind of an, a groundswell to get women into positions of power, mm-hmm. has the Me Too movement in some ways thwarted that by virtue of making it so that now we can't get hired for these positions because people are too afraid of accusations, male counterparts? So I think there's two things. One, 
Me Too movement has definitely been to our benefit. Absolutely. I mean, it's a voice that's been roaring in the background, and now we are actually raising our voice. The other is that SB, I believe it's SB 126, that was signed by our great Governor Governor Brown, so that publicly traded companies have to have women on their corporate boards. And I am a believer, and my passion is to change the face of corporate America. And how you do that is at the top, because the people that are in the boardroom are the ones that set strategy yes. and determine what happens. And so we have a, a wonderful window of opportunity, but we must seize it. So we must organize. We must be grassroots. We must be at every, we must really push forward at every level in corporations and in government to make that difference. And what I see is that we have a commitment to the future. And if we are, if we say we are who we are, then we really have a commitment to the future. We have a commitment to children to ensure that they have a different future. In order for that to happen, we must take action. And those of us who are mothers and those of us who may not have been in the workforce, is it too late for us? Or could one of us come to you and say, two kids, both in school now, at least until three or four in the afternoon, I'm getting divorced. I want to get back into the workforce. I may not start at a top level, but I could work my way up because, boy, I am a monster. Put me in that world. Get me a job, Charmaine, and I am going to just kill this. So it's never too late unless you're dead. Okay. So there's always an opportunity. Okay. And um, because we typically know we're going to get a divorce, it's rare that somebody actually comes to you and you're surprised. Right. You've been having the telltale signs. You just decided to ignore them. And if you, if you feel that that's impending, you have an opportunity to create a strategy so that you win. When I say win, it's not about winning in court, but it's that you win for yourself and win for your family. Right. And so I would say to any woman who knows that you're going to get a divorce, that provides you with a runway to create a strategy, to do volunteer work, to to expand your network, to go and do a lot of outreach so that you begin to understand what the landscape is and decide what it is that you want. Yes. Because you don't have to take anything if you're planful and if you know what it is that you're looking for. So you can begin to make those connections. And there's a a book that I really recommend called Power Questions by Andrew Sobol. It's really beginning to observe. And as you observe, look at how people dress. How do they speak? How do they carry themselves that are in positions that you're interested in? And no, it might mean that you might not get in that position for another three years. So from where you begin, you can begin on a a wonderful platform if you set yourself up for that. So you might be the best organizer in the world, or you might work on a fundraiser or with a nonprofit on their board. That nonprofit board provides you with access with people who know people, who understand what your skill set is and what the value is that you bring to the table. And they can be advocates for you because you let them know what it is that you are looking for. And you ask them to partner with you to be your partner in success as you move forward. And what happens if some of those people that you're looking at and gathering information in terms of how they dress and how they speak? And what if they're douchebags? Then you don't follow that. Okay. But that's that's the position you want. I mean, do you believe and have you seen in the corporate world, particularly with regard to women, that we can do it in a way that, and again, douchebag, also term of art, just like piss, piss off a fighter. <laughs> yes. Um, is, can, is that doable? I mean, you, you can emulate the good parts, the parts that are strong and good. Mm-hmm. But what if the re- way that these people are getting behind, remember when Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to think, well, no, maybe when they go low, we got to go low, too, because that was the best way that we could compete. Is there a place in corporate America where you can be ethical and you can be kind, but you can still get ahead? Absolutely, because I know many women who do. Okay. So it's absolutely possible. It's a matter of identifying, again, who are you and how do you want to show up? And I call it almost like beating people at their own game. I don't have to do it the way someone else does it. But if I do it the way that I know how to do it, that is disarming and that brings people into the fold then I can be successful with that. So you don't have to emulate everything. In fact, when you're observing, you understand what doesn't work and what turns people off because they actually want something different. That audience wants something different, and you may be that absolute solution to that. Alexa isn't the only one with breaking news. Make sure to hang around at the end of this podcast for the latest breaking headlines on the AP News Minute. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get the True Cash offer. 
Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. I'm Laura Wasser, and you're listening to Divorce Sucks. My guest today is author, C-suite advisor, keynote speaker, and executive coach, Charmaine McClary. Charmaine and her work have been profiled in People, Forbes, Harvard Management Update, The London Times, and The New York Times. Her clients include top executives from Coca-Cola, Gilead Sciences, Humana, Johnson & Johnson, MasterCard, Starbucks, and T-Mobile. And today, she's sharing the ways you can apply her coaching strategies to reclaim your power and represent yourself after a divorce. So on the subject of audience, tell us about your winning story makes you unstoppable leadership program, please. I like the storytelling aspect because as you've said, you've used the word narrative, your story. Tell our listeners how that works because I think that really resonates. So I'm going to give you an example of of one of my former clients. When I met her, she worked for a Fortune 10 company, and I asked her what were the three things that she wanted to do in our work together. She said, I want a promotion, I want to lead a leadership institute, and I want to get a Ph.D. Oh, and there's a fourth. I want to ride on the corporate jet with our CEO and the CEO of my client wearing a big floppy hat going to the Kentucky Derby. Okay. I said, okay, got it. Goals, goals. Got it. (laughs) I can't get your PhD for you, but we can change these other things. And so I asked her, I said, what do you do? And she says, I'm Senior Director of Sales and Marketing. I said, that's really great. I said, so what do you do? She says, I'm Senior Director of Sales and Marketing. I said, no, that's your title. She goes, no, that's "That's what I do. I said, no. I said, you have 49,000 employees in this organization. I said, how many of them are Senior Director? directors. A lot. I said, so that does not differentiate you from anyone else. And so as I began asking her questions, what I realized is that she was actually responsible for the fastest growing market segment of their business. Which was? I, I can't. Uh, I, oh, I, t- won't say, t- I won't say t- the company. Okay, yes. okay. So this is, again, true story. So she's at the elevator bank, and she's going to get on the elevator, and a gentleman comes out, and he says, I'm looking for your COO. And she says, oh, Sam, he's down the hallway. And so he asked her, he says, so are you new here? She goes, no. He said, well, what do you do? And she said, I lead the fastest growing market segment of our organization. In fact, are you familiar with so-and-so product? I can say the company. Might as well as Coca-Cola. Okay. And so he invited her that night. He invited her to a reception that was being held the next evening where you had to be vice president and above in order to attend. Now, if she told him she was senior director of sales and marketing, she would still be by the elevator bank. And in fact, she'd probably be the elevator operator. Right. Now she was able to shift her narrative because she leads the fastest growing market segment of the business. He's interested. Right. Because she's growing the business, she's growing the revenue. That articulates a value. In fact, one of the things I ask my clients is I always ask the CEO, I said, why are you more successful than other people? And they said, Charmaine, it's not because I'm smarter than other people. It's because of how I leverage the information I have so that it compels people with the value that I bring. So this program is a program to help uh, the, the participants really recraft their narrative and identify what differentiates them from everyone else and how to use that narrative as a way in which they engage people. It allows them to be able to pivot because they can think about what's important to that listener, what's important to the audience that you're speaking to, and what would compel them to want to follow you. And it's about that value proposition. And so they have an opportunity to recraft their narrative and an opportunity in a very safe space to practice that. I do a lot of video work with my clients so they can begin to see what does it look like when I show up as a badass? What What does it sound like? And they get to practice and get feedback so that they can actually have it in the muscle memory. Right. So that it's not what I call a Bobby Brown moment. You know, if you go to the uh, Bobby Brown counter and you say, I want to look fabulous, and they say, great, I'll make you look fabulous, and you do. And what you realize, you've got to sleep on your back because you can't replicate right. it. Mine is that I want you to be able to take that information and be able to leverage it immediately. And I have had clients who have actually, when I spoke at Watermark, I had three women in the room who put it into action within 15 minutes of leaving. Wow. One did it in a negotiation and was able to get exactly what it is that she wanted because she recrafted the narrative and she really spoke about what was the value proposition. And the other is she asked for what she really wanted and asked for it without apology because I'm a believer that we do not audition for the part, simply be the part. Right. 
Did the Coca-Cola woman get to go on the private jet so with she the floppy was, hat? I, that's right. I didn't finish that. So, yes. <laughs> so she went on the corporate jet with the floppy hat. Right. She now leads the Leadership Institute for a Fortune 100 company. Right. And she was promoted immediately. She was promoted within 90 days of our working together. So who needs a PhD? Did she go get that, too? She did get okay. the PhD. Okay. But as I tell my clients, <laughs> if you get too many alphabets behind your name, just right. tell people that I'm working with you because, really, either you're there or you aren't. Right. So, okay. Tell, I mean, I know you speak at these things, and I, but, but when you actually have a client, what does that entail? Like how many sessions is it usually? You do the video, you do the, the magazine pictures. How long of a process does it usually take? And I'm sure it varies. You can get people that come vary. in and they're like, you're like, oh, this is going to take some time. But generally speaking, to become the new me, how's that going to go? I say that it usually takes six months, so it would be sustainable okay. because we can get just enough in the first 30 days that you're dangerous right. and <laughs> need to tweak that a little bit. And you so be it's, too much of a badass. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like a little knowledge might be dangerous. And so um, in the beginning, it's really having my client do a 360, and I do that 360 verbally so that I'm able to ask their stakeholders, how do they see them? And then I ask my client, how do you see yourself? But most importantly, how do you want to be seen? So wait, who are stakeholders? Stakeholders could be your manager. It could be your CEO of your company. Stakeholder can be a client. Stakeholder can be your direct reports. It can be your call, your peers. So you actually speak with these people? I do. You go to them. You say, I'm Charmaine. I'm doing, what do you call yourself? I- I call my, well, corporate I, I, coach or a corporate coach, okay. an executive coach. And what I tell my clients is you can tell people anything you want about me. Okay. So if you need me to be whatever, I right. will. So you call and them up. I call them up and I, with their, with my client's permission. And I ask them, what are the person's top three strengths? What's their one opportunity area? And what's one thing that they can do to change how they show up in the business and affect positive change immediately? And then the other question I ask, particularly if I get a lot of negative feedback from someone is I ask them, have you told this person what you think about them. And it, usually the answer is no. Of course not. And I said, right. okay, so then let's have the wake-up call. You need to have that conversation. I'm happy to facilitate it because th- my client is not clairvoyant. Right. You need to tell them. Are the clients often very surprised to hear whether it's the good or the bad? Absolutely. They just don't see themselves. So one of it is really reframing how others see you and being able to tap into that and then projecting something new or different. Absolutely. Because if you don't know how people see you, you're going around in a fog. And many times, particularly for women, we can think that people have a much more negative opinion about us. And so this can be very affirming. And then the other question I ask someone if they're getting that negative feedback is if this person makes that change, are you willing to see them differently? Interesting. And do they always say yes, but sometimes mean no? No, they don't always say yes. And sometimes they do say no. And so then we know. I said, so you've made a, you put a <laughs> stake in the here. sand. Yeah, like you put a stake in the sand <laughs> right. and you're not willing to. So then I make it very clear if I'm working with, uh, say, a CEO mm-hmm. with that board, that this is how this person is seen by... So let's just eliminate their point of view right. as long as my client is delivering the results. So we begin with that. And then, I, again, I get really clear the self-assessment questionnaire. How does my client want to see themselves and what are the objectives that they have? And then also asking my client, what are the unwritten rules of your corporation? Those are the rules that are not in that handbook. Because the, the handbook is only – you can't slap anybody. Right. You can't come to work drunk. Right. It, and, and no, uh, me too. Right. But other than that, like how do people – what is that? What is the four one one that that that's covert? Right. And understanding that so that you understand what are some of the potholes. Because and people I, will actually talk about that with you. They will because I ask I ask a lot of questions. Okay. Because I you know it's sometimes what they don't say. Right. And so then I'll reframe it and say so. Does that mean X? And they'll go, Oh yes. So it's really it's finding out that kind of information. And then what I ask my client to do is to. For example, one of my clients was the SVP, and it was talking with his CEO. And I I said, I want you to have a conversation with your CEO and let your CEO know what you're working on. And because people typically only see you when you do something really bad or really great. Right. All the subtlety in between in terms of incremental change, people don't see it. So I said, I want you to go to the CEO and let the CEO know that these are the three, these are the two areas that you're working on and that you need his help to ensure that you make it. And that you want him to, you know, real time, when I'm doing something really great, let me know. And when I'm not, let me know that as well. And let's talk about what needs to be different. Right. So that way, it's a partnership and there's a dual accountability. Right. So it's not all just on my client. It's actually about that relationship. And he's invested. 
Absolutely, because you want the person invested and you want to shake hands at the end. So I want to ensure, Lord, that you are actually committed to my success, and I appreciate that partnership. So when I show up looking fabulous, I want you to let me know. Now, do you ever have a CEO that says, this is just too much time. I don't have time. This is my employee. He or she needs to do good on her own. Don't ask me for all this input. Bring me the results. Oh, absolutely. I get that all the time. And I say, well, how much is it costing if you aren't getting it? Ah, because it's all it. about, say, it's all it about a, the dollar. It's all about the dollar. And I f- forgot the gentleman's name on the uh, Black Godfather. Uh, oh, Avant. Yes, it's, it's, Clarence. It's, it's Clarence. Clarence. Is, it starts with a number and it ends with a number. Wasn't that the greatest? Oh, the and best. And they kept going back to it and he kept saying it. The best. The best. I grew so up with his kids. I, lo- I went to one of those screenings and I just and I didn't even know that he was that connected. I just thought he was Nicole's dad. I mean, it he, it was amazing, but he sure did say it. There was If there was a message to that movie, it was. That's right. How much does it cost? How much did you make? Let's make some money. That's right. And my belief is that you always ask for what it is that you want. Because many times for women, particularly when we are promoted, women are so ha- – let me just – that's a gross generalization. Some women are so happy and excited to be asked to come to the table that they take the first offer that is made. Right. And that is always, always a mistake. Really getting clear of asking questions because you want to interview them. So if I take this position, let's talk about my scope and my responsibility. Let's talk about how much money do I have authority over? How many people do I need? What is it that we want to have as an outcome? This is what I will need in order for that to come to fruition. So that you're asking all along questions that allow you to be set up for success as opposed to being set up for failure. Because many times we'll say yes for the same budget, not bringing on any people. And you are scrambling and working harder than you ever have and not asking for the money because I am a capitalist. I like money, and I believe in asking for what it is that you want. Okay, Clarence, I hear you. Um, Yes. (laughs) I got that from my daddy, who actually used to talk about Clarence, and I didn't really know who he was. Right, but we all grew up in L.A., so or at least in Southern California. So, okay, when women do some of the things that you're suggesting, we are often looked at as aggressive pushy, overreaching, whereas our male counterparts would just be, hey, he's a great worker. He wants it. He's going for the gold. How do we, I mean, until some of the older white guys up there die, how do we change that perception? How can we be um, aggressive and pushy without having, without it being looked at negatively? I mean, that's, that's what they want. If they want the dollar, don't they want us to be that way? Why is it perceived so differently when a woman comes across that way? Because we're not accustomed to seeing, most men are not accustomed to seeing a woman in a powerful position. In 2019? In 2019, absolutely. And if you think about it, we are so slow to make change. If you think about doing the Bush administration with Barbara Bush. Yes. Barbara Bush was independently wealthy. That's why she never worked. But people thought that that was the iconic way in which to be a woman. And Hillary was in disdain. But it was not based on the, tr- the reality right. because the reality is that there are two income households because people cannot afford to have one. And I think that we, we get caught in an old idea about who we are, both the men and the women, and then we play to that. And so for me, it's, that it's not asking for permission to be who you are. It's not asking for permission if you're speaking. I've seen meetings where, you know, a woman, you say something and somebody else, a, a man says it 15 minutes later and they go, oh, my God, brilliant. I just love it. And it's simply all you have to do is in that meeting is you say, Brian, you're right, is brilliant. In fact, here are three strategies that are going to deliver this to market. So you don't get offended. You don't get bent. You just kind of... You get bent and you win. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Now, again, uh, so much of what we're talking about today has to do with male-female dynamic. What happens when that Barbara Bush... May who may be independently wealthy or maybe was wealthy because they didn't need a dual income household because husband was making enough. Now they split. And whether she wants to do it for actual true economic reasons or really just, I got to get back out there. My kids mm-hmm. are at school. I don't need to do this. How can those women kind of reconfigure what they're all about and get back into the workplace? Think, similar rules? I think the rules are similar and actually they have more latitude. If you don't have to do it for economic reasons, That gives you a lot more power and leeway okay? because you don't have to say yes. Right. It's really looking at how do you want to affect positive change in this world and working on something that you're passionate about, and then you become unstoppable. And so I think it's important for that woman who is not bound by economics to get clear about how she wants to affect change and then 
whether it's going back into the corporate world or a nonprofit or philanthropy, so that she can really deliver results. And yes, she will have some pushback because I will say all women in business have pushback. Understand it and let the person know. Say, I understand you're uncomfortable with this, but we're going to move forward. Okay. And if they say no? And say, you know, we can either play together or we can play on the wrong side. Okay. And I think you, you're playing to win, and I, I, I am a comrade right beside you, I'm gonna and we're going to win. That we're we're going to win together. Okay. All right. I like Because that. the green is what wins at the end of the day, and if I can bring in the revenue, you want me on your team. Right. So let's talk a little bit, again, going back to your winning story makes you unstoppable. During your divorce, some of the points that you talk about in terms of things that you recommend or recommend staying away from. One of the things I recommend staying away from, uh, something that my father said to me when I was growing up, he said, I'm not paying for an education so that you can become a secretary because then there were actually real secretaries. And my father said, "Uh, I want you to figure out what it is that you want and I want you to go for it. He said, and there's not any compromising. Did you have siblings? I do. Male? Male. I have a brother. Okay. I have one brother too. And I never got from my dad, who can be somewhat chauvinistic, I never got that I couldn't do anything as good or as for the same amount of pay as a guy. He might have and he might have been chauvinistic towards others, but to me, well, you're my daughter, so you must be great and you're special. Fabulous. And he sent me out into that world knowing that, and it worked. Clearly, it did. That's <laughs> why I'm here. Clearly, one of the things my father did, for example, when I was 21, my father went through a program of zero. It was a uh, uh, IBM it was the IBM program. It's a sales program. He gave that to me for my 21st birthday. Now, most people don't want that for their 21st right. birthday. And then every week we would have a conversation about one of the 20 cassettes that was in this package <laughs> because he said, I want you set up to win. Right. I want you set up. He said, you know, there will be people that will already define you. He said, I want you to redefine what that is. So I, I, I give him credit for where I am today because he was the one who really helped me to craft a narrative at a very early age. Yeah. Wow. Is your brother older or younger? Younger. Is I'm your dad still around? No, he's, he left the planet, but he left behind some really great things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, and what did he do for a living? My father was in sales. He, okay. was, he worked for um, uh, Pitney Bowes, and then he worked for Allstate and had a really successful practice. Okay. So a- another question, you're African-American. Mm-hmm. How does that play into it? We talked a lot about women versus men, but you got, and, he, and your dad obviously knew what he was setting you up for here. I-, I can certainly relate to the female part. I and This is about as tan as I get, so I can't relate to the African-American part. How has that factored in for you in your career and to, do you, do you coach men as well? Oh, absolutely. Okay, to fact, women. If you think about it, because I coach a lot of C-suite. Right. Fortunately, unfortunately, most of my clients actually are, are men. men. Okay. Yes. So for women and men, how does the race card play? Oh, it, it's, it's in this country. Yes. It is clear and present. Yes. And I think it's, first of all, again, where there's being a woman, being a woman of color, is being really clear about who you are and understanding what your intrinsic value is and what it is that you have to offer. And again, not having that defined by others. And when race is an issue, it's an issue for that person. And I know it's not an issue for me. Right. And I like to call it head on. I'll say, oh, I see this three seconds of surprise. I can tell when I walked in the room and they weren't expecting me. Really? Yes. Well, why, why would they not expect that? Have they not spoken to you on the phone, not seen a bio? Who doesn't Google people these days? So, they, so well, this is before Google and okay, LinkedIn. Okay, okay. I used to actually only use my first two initials, C.E. McClary, oh, okay, okay. so that I was genderless and colorless Okay. because if they heard the name, they might think. And then also, of course, being a female. And I was very young when I started my practice. I was 12. And so um, <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I do is... I really try to make the person comfortable with that, letting them know that as, I, as, right. as, I, right, as I told my husband, who is not of color, um, we were dating. I said, honey, I said, just so that we're clear, I said, I was born black and I'm going to die black. So if you're looking for something else, I'm not it. Right. So it's being really clear with who you are and, again, what that narrative is. And so when someone, if someone feels that I'm aggressive, oh, you're an angry black woman, I said, so tell me a little bit about that. Right. And how can we use that to our advantage yeah, yes. in this like, situation? Like, how does that, how does that show, are you feeling uncomfortable? Let's talk about that. I want you to feel as comfortable as possible with me. So we're going to work together a long time. So I really like to call it as it is. Right. I make a point that I am really grounded and don't bring any additional heat to the situation. I might be in major pissosity, but I'm not going to show it. Because, it's, because, because the truth is, is that as long as I know who I am. Right. 
it's their issue. Right. And they have to get over it. And I'm going to help them to get over it or to get under it. Right. So, Charmaine, tell us some tips that divorced, whether they're clients or just people that are getting it on the free because they're listening to this, can use post-divorce getting back into the workplace. A couple of things. One is that particularly for women, what can happen when you're going through a divorce and your employer knows it, they may feel that they're really being in your best interest by saying, you know, don't work so hard right now. You don't really have to worry about partner track. Um, you really don't go for that promotion right now. You know, I know that you've got the kids. And so what you need to do is reframe that for them so that you're not losing ground, particularly at a time when you might need to bring that you might need to bring that economic yeah. um, cash to the table and letting the person know, saying, you know, I really appreciate you're looking out for my best interest. And really what would help me most is if you help me to succeed right now. Right. Because I actually have what I've gotten really clear about since this divorce is what matters to me and being very intentional about my life. And so I have someone to have, be with my children. I'm free to travel. The only day that I don't travel is Thursday. I love but that's, it. You know, but that's an unusual day that most people don't travel. So just really bring it up so that you can hit it head on. I'm a believer that if there's an elephant in the room and we are trying to walk around the elephant, it just gets really funky in there. Right. So you might as well just say what it is and then help the – you create, again, the narrative to take them where you want them to be. Okay. So don't have it as the everyday conversation. You know, uh, if you have a person that you can confide in, do that with that person. Or if you have a spiritual community, you do that with them. But don't bring it to work because it is just that. It's work. Right. As the former CEO of Netflix said, this is not a family. I'm not your family. Right. This is work. Right. And understanding that distinction. And the other is having a, a, a board of advisors. Everyone should have a board of advisors. And the person doesn't have to be a formal advisor. But you need to have one a person who I call is like the librarian. They have all the 411 on anything that you could ever want to okay. know. Then you want to have a person who is a subject matter expert, somebody that knows a particular area that you're interested in, and they know it well. And then you need to have the person who is wonderful at networking, and that is the connector, the person that can connect you to who you want to be connected to. And then you have that person who you can cry on their shoulder. Right. But those are the kind of people that you need to have. You need to have somebody who is also going to tell you the truth. Right. So you need a support team. You absolutely need a support team because we cannot do anything by ourselves. Right. Right. It really requires that. And I think that, that many times we can really want to go solo uh-huh. when we're hurt. Right. Which is when you need more people around you than ever. Absolutely. But we, they have to be the right people. Right. We tell people that all the time. And and there will be some wrongs that are well-meaning too, but you have yes. to be able to distinguish and take like moms a lot of times. Moms give you all this and they love you and they mean well, but that can't be where you lean. You need to be leaning on those other four or five that you just mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's the, taking that inventory and stock of where you are in your life and what it is that you want. And the other thing I ask my clients is to get really clear on what support you do need. So, for example, I have a client who said, I, I, you know, I d- would not want to be president of this company because it really is going to require too much. It'll be too much travel uh, and just will really mess up my home life. And I said, mm, you will be president one day. What I want you to do is I want you to look at what resources do you need in order to be successful. And so what she needed was a nanny. Well, if you can't afford a nanny, you also have friends or you can have a college student. So there are a number of ways where money is not the sole right. determinant. <clears throat> and then also ha- speaking with the employer and letting them know what you need to be successful. And I think that's the thing that we don't do is we don't identify what that looks like and help people to see it. And they want to be a part of the bandwagon right. to help lead us there. Right. And the other is your LinkedIn profile, ah. your LinkedIn profile. So for any person who was not in, was not involved in social media when they were primarily in the, when they were in the workforce before, it is major and important to your career. Really? It's very That's important. That's where they're going to look. That's where they're going to look. And you help us, you help us reframe them so yes. that it looks right. And it, so give us some examples of things you change or recommend. So my former internist, her daughter had her photograph on LinkedIn, and she's a professional. She's an architect. And the photograph was from a wedding reception. So there was cleavage, right. that coy smile, which looked great for her boyfriend, but it does not work right. for LinkedIn. I called her up immediately and said, you know, I love you. You didn't ask for my unsolicited opinion, but you need to take that photo down. But that goes on a dating site that does exactly. not go on there on exactly. LinkedIn. So having, making sure that you have a photograph that looks 
really crisp and polished, going in and have your makeup done professionally before you have that LinkedIn page done, and then also having hiring a professional to help you rewrite your LinkedIn page. Okay. A professional that does that for a living and that you also know that they get really great results because everybody that has a shingle outside mm-hmm. that says they can help you with LinkedIn isn't qualified. Well, how do, how do we know? How do we know who they are? Look at the reviews. Ask other people that are successful that have used a source, used, used a resource. And speaking of the difference between something like a LinkedIn and a social media, so what happens if your employer, how careful do we have to be in this day and age about what we have on our Facebook page or Instagram page versus what we would have on LinkedIn? Like she takes that picture of herself with the coy smile and the cleavage, and then she, she posts it on Instagram. I mean, that's not a bad button, but what if it's, you know, the next one is her sunbathing topless in Italy somewhere. God, I hope there's none of those. What do we have to do to cleanse? You do have to cleanse (laughs) because corporations (laughs) do look at that very much so. In fact, I mean, a prime example is the young man who now is, I think, been rejected from Harvard. Yes. So it is very important. And so my belief is that you keep the two very separate. And if you have an Instagram, you can have it as a private page. So people have to actually ask in order to follow you. And so you decide if this is going to be a professional Instagram or is it going to be a personal Instagram? Those are two very different. They have two lines of demarcation. You can have, you can, I wouldn't be topless on anything that's social, <laughs> period. You never know you where it's going to go. Kids? I know. I'm amazed at some of these kids. I'm like, they can go on there when they're looking at your college applications. Exactly. Like, don't, don't, my thing is don't play there. Right. It's not worth it. It's just really not worth it. It's like going to a company function. You know, you go to a holiday party and I let people know it is a work function. Right. This is work. It's not We're not to get your drunk. family. Right. This is not <laughs> for you to said. get drunk. Like, this is this is work. Right. And so understanding that distinction and then look at who are the people. So people that are doing what you want to do, what are their LinkedIn? Pa- what does their LinkedIn page look like? What kind of experiences have they had? So my thing is you decide where you want to be and then you identify what experiences you need to have, what you need to have on your resume, who you need to know so that you can really handle your career strategically. Right. Strategy is queen. Right. Charmaine, you've created a master mentoring program which teaches your executive success principles. Tell us more about them and how they can help someone reframe their story after a divorce. Men or women listeners, we want to hear about both. Absolutely. So as I said, I interviewed CEOs and senior level executives many years ago and asked them why were they more successful. And they said, Charmaine, it's not because I'm smarter than everybody. It's because how I leverage the information, how I leverage the value of that information. And so I came up with these six principles. And the first is, is that communicate the vision. Many times what happens is that we start in the middle of the story. I want to know, are we going to Kansas? If you have children and you are going to take them on vacation, if you say we're going to go to Disney World, you have children that are on their best behavior for those two weeks leading up. If you were to say we're going to get in the station wagon, we're going to go to the corner, then we're going to get gas and we're going to get in the highway, they don't know where you're going and there's not any incentive for them to want to be in line. So you want to articulate what is the vision, what is the bigger picture that we're after. And how you do that is by speaking in headlines. A headline, if you think about when you pick up the New York Times in the morning, the headline is what seduces the eye and the ear and what compels your listener to want to listen. Right. And so that's how you want to articulate that. As I said to my client, you lead the fastest growing market segment in the business. That is a vision and a headline. That's what you do. That is what you do. That is the value that you bring to the table. And the others, the three must make points. And I always say the three questions that every audience has. Why should I listen? What's in it for me? And what do you want me to do about it? And those three questions are essential. I have clients who are able to have sales increase year over year because they require that their employees come in to be able to articulate that message. Many times what we do is we tell people everything we know as opposed to what's in it for them. Right. So why is that audience there? What do they need? And then the most one of the really important parts is what do you need them to do with it? What do you want when that meeting is over? People need to be clear before you leave. And then the fourth one is creating witnesses. I say hard work without a witness is simply hard work. And who the heck needs that? Did you do it with strategy? Did you do it with vision? And it's not about bragging, but it's making sure that people that need to know no. Oh, I agree. I, I have people that work for me, both at my law firm and at It's Over Easy. And the ones that kind of loop me into the emails, tell me what they did. So often I ask myself, what is he doing all day? 
Absolutely. Or, you know, what, what, what is she doing? Now I know. I don't have to ask. I know that they're being productive. I can see it and I see the results. So that's huge. I'm giving you the flip side as an employer. Yes. I like to be a witness. Make Absolutely. me a witness. Absolutely. Because now that you know that person's advocating for you and vice versa, you want to have the advocate also is the person who is speaking for you when you're not in the room. Because when those decisions are made about who gets promoted, who gets hired, you want to make sure there's somebody in that room that's speaking on your behalf. Right. And you help create that narrative, what I call is that song that you have them sing for you. And then the other is is that I say don't audition for the part. What's that mean? Many times we got it. Yeah, exactly. Many times we audition for roles we already have. You've been hired. They're paying you the big bucks. They expect you to come to the table with a point of view. Okay. And an insight. And so if you're coming to the table and you're asking for permission, you don't need to be there. Right. I always say the meeting you need to attend is the meeting that cannot take place without your brilliance or your insight. Nice. Okay. That's what's important. If it doesn't require that, then don't go. And then the other, the, the very last is, is that embody your message, making sure you're walking, talking, and acting the part. How are you showing up physically? You know, one of the things I don't... Um, well, I'll be dating myself if I use that example. I was just going to say, Leah Cook. When you think about how powerful people use space, right? They do just that. They use space. And if you are a, taught to be a good girl, a good girl crossed her legs, crossed her hands, and folded her hands, and didn't take up space. Right. Powerful people take up space. I think I'm a big woman. I, I've always thought that. I, yes, I think I'm a big woman. And my my best friend, who's five ten and a, and a wingspan of an eagle, she says, "I'm sorry, Charmaine, but actually you're not." I said, "In my mind, I am." Right. And so, really thinking about how do you use space and becoming comfortable with using your body, become comfortable using your voice because your voice, particularly today. Many times you will live in a virtual world. People never see you. Right. Everything is handled over the telephone. How does your voice sound? And if you don't like it, you can be guaranteed that the person on the other side may not like it. Have you had people be able to change their voices? Absolutely, because you can lower your voice by register with different exercises that you do. Right. If, if someone is a singer, so it's actually taking a deep breath, letting the belly out, and then allowing the breath to come through so it almost sounds like a, uh, so that it really begins. And what that does is it deepens the register of your voice and it allows you to become more conscious of how you speak. You want to have a voice that people want to listen to. Yes, and so I say record yourself, listen to it until you begin to love it. Because when you love it, other people will. Something else that someone can do is using a mirror on their desk. Again, our world is virtual. Ooh. You work with people all across the yeah. world. And how you look is what people hear. If right. you're pissed off, that's what they hear. So, so if you have a smile on your face, there's warmth in your voice. And yes. so you want to you want to think about that. Do you so, watch The Good Fight? Oh, my God. Is it I the lo- best? I love so it. So you know the thing when they do the thing on the phone and they're supposed to be smiling and have the mirrors? That's a horrible example of what you're saying. But oh, so, isn't that a good show? Oh, best I love, show. Oh, my God. Okay. I love it. We could do a whole thing on that. My husband and I, we fight. We're like, no, no, no. No, we're watching it now. Yeah. It's great. I agree. So, All right. And so then applying the principles to divorce. Just give us that and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go soon. But I, I have to hear. So applying those, the ESP to divorce is leveraging, again, how do you want to show up physically? Like, you know, again, how do you want to look? Do you need to change your haircut? Do you need to change what you're wearing? If you are always in sweatpants and flip-flops because you are going to pick up the children, there is a different day and there's a different look that you have. Also for women is that men can go business casual and wear the polo shirt. I don't ever want to see one of my clients, in a, female clients, in a polo shirt. It looks really bad. They weren't made for us. And so really just like elevating it just a little bit, having either a jacket or, or if you don't want a jacket, having a really pulled together, like hip look. You have, uh, it might be an oversized vest, but you want to have that authority piece on your body. And um, again, your voice. How do you want to look? And making sure that you're showing up that way. And also expanding your network. So when I talk about creating witnesses, who are the people that are in your network right now that you can leverage, that can help you, that can partner with you, so that you can soar. Because divorce is not the end of the world. It's just a bump in the road. And no one grows up going, oh, my God, I can't wait until I get a divorce. No. But the, it happens. Right. And you just figure out, like, look, the best is yet to come. Yes. Oh, I love that. 
All right, so Charmaine, you've created a master mentoring program which teaches your executive success principles, ESP. Tell us more about them and how they can help someone reframe their story after a divorce. Also, just to note, I know that you're going to be speaking um, about them this fall in Chicago at the Transformational Leadership Program, correct? Correct. All right, so tell us. So these principles, the executive success principles, communicate the vision, speak in headlines. Your three must make points. Don't audition for the part. Create witnesses and embody your message. These are six powerful principles that you can leverage to move yourself forward, to level yourself up, and to make sure that you are seen and heard and not a well-kept secret. Because who wants to be a well-kept secret? Nobody. That's amazing. So there's a tradition here at the studio which involves swearing you in and having you answer a few fun questions. These are the divorce sucks interrogatories. I'm ready. Okay. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do, and I'll probably use the wrong hand. I think. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Charmaine, are you divorced, married, or single? Or a little bit of a, a few? Hybrid. I'm a hybrid. <laughs> okay. I say I'm divorced and remarried, been together with my husband for 25 years. Nice. Okay. And what is your favorite breakup song? My favorite breakup song is I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. Love it. And what would you say to cheer up a friend who is going through a breakup? I see you. I hear you. You're freaking fabulous. Pack your bag. Let's go to Paris. Nice. That's the best one yet. I want to be friends Paris with you when I break everything. up. Yeah. What romantic comedy could you watch on repeat? Love, actually. <laughs> Love. Love. Love is everything. You and I have very similar taste in watching, I'll tell you that. Thank you, Charmaine, for sharing your C-suite executive wisdom. Please tell our listeners how they can reach out to you and how they can download the full executive success principles. Also, I know you've got some speaking engagements coming up, and I know that you are willing to offer our listeners a discount, so tell them about that too, please. Absolutely. So there are four places you can see me. One is coming to Chicago for Your Winning Story Makes You Unstoppable where we discuss the ESP and you have an opportunity to practice that and put it into action. Later, you're going to be able to come to the women's conferences. First one is in Philadelphia, October 2nd. Second is Austin, October 24th. And the third is Boston, December 12th. I'm looking forward to seeing you all there and experiencing empowerment because I say the most powerful thing you can do is simply be empowered. Also, I want to give you a discount if you purchase my audiobook, which is going to be a 10% if you put in Divorce Sucks. You get to take home the audiobook with the six executive success principles and many exercises to take you through to success. Perfect. I love it. We will be in all of those states as of the end of this summer. So if you're looking for It's Over Easy, check us out too. We have great links. We can collaborate. We work with you to gain the most success in your next chapter. I'm Laura Wasser, the family law attorney, and this is Divorce Sucks. As you contemplate your next move after divorce, Please keep in mind that self-sufficiency is its own reward. The purpose of spousal support payments is to prevent any unfair economic consequences which may result from the end of your marriage, not necessarily to set you up to eat bonbons and shop till you drop for the rest of your life. So get back out there. Getting back to work and contributing to your own financial portfolio is empowering. Trust me. Thanks for listening. Let's chat more on Monday.